Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to my YouTube channel. My name is John Campia, and this is a companion video. What are companion videos? Well, I'm often glad that you asked. You see, every day on the John Campia Show, Monday through Friday, we take the second half of the show to take your live comments and questions. However, we usually don't have enough time to get around to all of the live comments and questions that get sent in, and sometimes we get a little bit backed up. But I want to make sure you guys don't have to wait too awful long to get those questions answered. So we gather up the unused questions, and we address them here on companion video so let's not waste any time and get right to it And we're going to start getting caught up by going to a question from the wakandan forever who writes two films i love but th that conflict me tropic thunder and devil's advocate i'm uh i'm black robert downey jr makes me cringe a little but i admit i laugh when i watch the film i have faith uh, al's speech at the end makes me pause what film do you struggle with um I'll tell you what, the, I don't struggle with either one of those personally, but I mean, I'm not in the same context. The film that I always struggled with, and this is going to sound really, really weird, but is the Johnny Knoxville comedy, uh, oh God, what is the name of it again? The one about Special Olympics. It's called The Ringer. That's what it's called, The Ringer. Um, I struggle with that movie because I know it's totally not their intention. Like for those of you who know about The Ringer, The Ringer's Johnny Knoxville descends to be it uh, pretends to be mentally handicapped in some way so he can participate in the special olympics so he can get a medal right i told i'm not mad at anybody for the film because i totally know their intention was not to be offensive i totally know their intention was to actually bring positive attention uh to those athletes i totally get that and so i'm not mad at any but anybody but i had to walk out of the film about maybe Halfway through, maybe three quarters of the way through, I had to walk out of the film because even though I totally get what their intentions were and their motives were probably very, very good, I just felt like the movie was just making fun of people with disabilities. And I just I just found myself being very, very uncomfortable with it, even though I knew their hearts were in the right place. And by the way, I have friends of mine that just thought the movie was hilarious, and that's great, but that was one to me that I must admit I struggled with a little bit. I'm not saying other people should. I'm just saying that's the one that I had a little bit of struggles with. Anyway, uh, thanks for asking, Wakandan. Next up, Joshua Racco writes, Hey, John, my only change to the second episode of Falcon of the Winter Soldier. About to jump out of the plane, Bucky turns to Falcon. You think what I'm thinking, partner? Falcon, aim for the bushes. Oh, that's uh, that's uh, the other guys. That's Samuel Jackson and Dwayne The Rock Johnson, right? Because that's the big fam famous. Ah, that's you know what's funny? Talking about the other guys for a second, if I'm right about that, and that's what the reference is to. I always th th that movie's not very good. I got I know a lot of people that love the film. It's okay. The other guys is okay, but that movie would have been a lot stronger if it was just about Samuel Jackson and Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I always thought it would have been a hoot if they could have brought them back and actually done a movie about them. And anyway, that's just me. All right, next up, Mister Forty Seven writes. So at the Endgame premiere, Gwyneth said that she has never seen any of the MCU films she has been a part of. So does she leave after the red carpet shoot every time? Uh, seeing as you've been to a few events yourself, am I right or am I right? Yeah, listen, when, when an actor says they don't watch their own thing, like I haven't seen, like, no, no, like don't, don't get me wrong. Usually at premieres, when an actor says I haven't seen the movie yet, I believe that because they're not a part of that process. You know, their job is to act in the movie, and then once they're done acting, their job's done. They're not consulted. They're not whatever. So I believe that. But when I hear actors say that, you know, I never even watched 
uh, my movie or my movies or my shows when I appear in that show. I don't believe that for a second, and I don't believe it from Gwyneth Paltrow. That being said, I have been at most of, if not all of the like the Marvel premieres, and maybe I'm just not remembering, but I don't recall seeing her at them. Like at the Endgame premiere, I think everybody was there because they all went up to the front of the stage after the movie was done. It was a really good moment, actually. But I don't, I can't remember off the top of my head. But either way, even if she wasn't at those premieres, I I do not believe for a second that she hasn't watched those movies. Like she even said, remember there's that thing going around where she was on John Favreau's Chef, and like they played it like she was saying that she didn't remember being in the Spider Man movie. I don't believe that for a second. It's like, Gwyneth Paltrow, does he remember? I don't believe that for a second. I don't believe that for a second. I got nothing to back that up with. I can't prove that. But just personally, I don't believe that for a second, Mr. 47. All right, next up. We've got power is power who writes. Uh, Police's Argo on Sam was already expected. True. Uh, But Bucky's line, just give him your ID, is what stood out to me, insinuating it wasn't a big deal. Uh, Subtly shows difference in perspective. Not upset, but my first thought was, Bucky, that's not the point. Well, I mean, there's a couple of different ways to look at that scene, too. I, I will just tell you what my first impression was when I saw it. My first impression was was not that Bucky was saying this isn't a big deal. My first impression was that was just Bucky saying these guys aren't worth our effort or our or they weren't worth the trouble. These guys are not worth our trouble. That's the way I interpreted it at first. But maybe if I look at the scene again, I might interpret it differently than that. But if they were playing it the way you were just suggesting, that you know, from Sam's perspective, this isn't a big deal. I think that's the po- that would have been the point. Is that you know Bucky coming from the 1920s, 1930s, I, I forget when he was born, but yeah, he was 106, so he would have been like in the uh, like late 1910s. Anyway, like maybe to him, he doesn't see this as a big deal, and maybe that's part of the point. It's not something to be mad at Bucky about, but it's just kind of making a statement. But again, that's not the way I initially interpreted it, but the way I initially interpreted it may not have been the way they were actually tr- going for it on screen. It's a good observation, though, Power. All right, next up. Powers Power also writes, I would hope Sam brings to light the sacrifice and treatment of Isaiah. He was a war veteran that Hydra feared almost as much as Steve, but discarded. I'm glad Bucky said Cap didn't know. Otherwise, it would feel out of character for Cap to be silent. Um, I don't know. I don't know about that. Like, there's a lot of different narrative ways that could go. Like, if Cap knew about it, but Isaiah just wanted to be left alone, then should Cap say anything or should he honor and respect Isaiah's wishes? Um, Not sure. I guess there would be different ways of looking at that. Um, But then, I mean, then again, like what business would it be? While Cap was still around, what business would it have been of Sam's to know about Isaiah? It's not really any of his business at that point, so I'm not sure. But anyway, the point is moot because they did make it clear that they did make it clear that Cap didn't know. I thought it was great, though, that Bucky felt it was important that Sam does know. Especially because Sam, this whole idea, the the idealism that Sam brings to it, it's like, listen, the things we think we're, we're, we're on the part of, sometimes there's gray area. And to drive that point home, you need to meet Isaiah. And I thought that was really prudent. And, you know, we had the discussion during the Falcon and Winter Soldier post-show 
uh, spoiler discussion show about whether or not we think we'll see Isaiah again. I said at the time, I'm suspecting we won't see him again, but I've been thinking about it more and more this week, and now now I'm thinking maybe we will. I, again, no insider information on that, but I'm starting to think maybe we will, and they'll make um, you know, a larger statement about it. But we'll have to wait and see, Power. We'll have to wait and see. All right, next up. The Wakandan Forever writes, I finally found them. Uh, body count with Ice T and get ready for it. Little Ice, his son, the only black heavy metal band I can find. Um, John, help me. I need suggestions for bands. Heavy Metal eighty one uh, movie. Your thoughts. Heavy Metal nineteen eighty one movie. Your thoughts. Uh, vanilla, uh, vanilla T T cube. It's an ice cream parlor. I'm not. Your thoughts are all over the place there, Wakanda. And I'm not quite sure what it is you're asking. My favorite. I don't know that I'd call them metal. But hard, some I've seen them sometimes described as being heavy metal. I thought of them more as hard rock. Was ah, oh, damn it! What's the name of the band now? Hold on, let me look it up. Um, a cult of personality. It was a song I loved, and I'm trying to remember the name of the band now. A uh, living color. Living Color was it. Now, for those of you who, who think that that uh, the name of that song sounds familiar, I believe it was the uh, the theme song to, oh, now I can't even remember the name of the WWE wrestler. He, he was Straight Edge. That wasn't his name. He was Straight Edge, and now I can't remember. Uh, CM Punk, that was it. CM Punk. I think it was CM Punk's theme song. Anyway, when I was in high school and playing in bands, Cult of Personality was a song that we would always try to play i mean it was just it is to this day one of the most badass songs if you have not listened to cult of personality by the band living color the only black hard rock metal band i'm personally aware of you should go look it up because that song is awesome all right let's move on here next up uh duncan idaho writes john uh Equal starships with crew of their respective shows. Kirk versus Picard. Uh, which is the last starship standing and why? I would say uh, the Picard crew. Or, and it's not even because, I think the captains are awash, right? Picard, Kirk. They both have their strategic mindsets. They have different philosophies and approaches and personalities. But honestly, I think those two cancel each other out. I will give the edge to Picard's crew for two reasons. Number one, you literally have a Klingon in your crew who's all about battle and war. So Worf gives him a little bit of an edge. But also you have Commander Data. And Commander Data, being a living computer, um, on top of the, the instincts of battle, you know, the instant calculations that would need to be made, I will give the edge to Picard's crew. And I let the debate begin, but I'll give the edge to Picard's crew for those reasons. All right, Ralph uh, Bonner writes, Hey, John, you say you're glad they aren't making Sam and Bucky overpowered, that they aren't Cap. Uh, didn't Buck go toe-to-toe with Iron Man? Yes, but he lost that fight, Make like, and wasn't doing well when Cap wasn't there to help him. Uh, Black Panther, again, he was losing that fight. He went toe-to-toe, but he was losing that fight. And Cap numerous times, even beating Cap once. You have to remember, every time Cap was fighting him, he was specifically trying not to hurt him. Cap, I mean, to the point that he was like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna kill you, Buck. I'm not gonna hurt you. Like, I can, like, go ahead. You do what you gotta do. So, yeah, all those fights happened, but they all had giant asterisks beside them. Cap never wanted to really hurt Bucky. 
So, I mean, that's something you got to keep in, you got to keep in mind now. So no, I don't think he seems weaker now or anything like that. You just got to understand that in a fight against black Panther, he wasn't going to win that fight in one-on-one against Iron Man. He had to run. I mean, he had to get out of there. The whole beginning of that fight in Civil War, it was just Cap holding off Iron Man so Bucky could get away. So that he wasn't going to win that fight either. Uh, Cap could win that fight, but he he wasn't going to win that fight, so he had to run. And against Cap, he was fighting against a guy who simply didn't want to hurt him. So, I mean, yeah, that's that's kind of how I see it at any rear off. That's the way I see it. All right, next up. Uh, Gerard Leon writes, Hey, John. Uh, you say that the MCU doesn't go with what happens in the comics, and most times you were right. Now, no, to be clear, I said, you know, it's not often that they go with this in the comics. I said, often what you will see is they'll borrow thematic, uh, they'll borrow themes from the comics, like, oh, certain details and whatever. But as far as the overall story, well, this happens in the story, so that's what they're going to do here. That's not what they do. For example, Ultron was completely different than the Ultron story in the comics uh, and so on and so forth. So it's not that they never do what's in the comics. They will often borrow themes from the comics. They will take thematic ideas from the comics, but they, they change their stories. Anyway, at any rate, uh, you say that the MCU doesn't go with what happens in the comics, and most times you're right, but for Falcon and Winter Soldier, John Walker and Battlestar get their powers through the power broker, which is also in the show. Is it a stretch? Again, like in Civil War, right? Civil War was nothing like Civil War in the comic books, but there are definite themes that are taken, right? The fact that the two sets that the two sides of the Avengers get divided over a government issue, one is a registration act of some sorts, the other is the Scovian Accords, blah, blah blah. So they borrow themes and ideas and then layer them over top of their own original stories. So we will see that, and that could be at play here in Falcon and Winter Soldier as well. But you'll definitely see themes borrowed, borrowed for sure. It just means, though, they're not tied to the comics. And therefore, well, since they did A, that means they're also going to do B, C, D, and E. And that's just not the way it normally happens. Anyway, thanks for that, man. Godzilla's wife writes... No spoiler, I watched Godzilla vs. Kong today in my favorite IMAX cinema. Uh, got to see my home, Hong Kong, destroyed. Got to see my man, uh, Oguri Shun, in it. He's a Japanese actor, if I'm not mistaken. Got to see Mortal Kombat trailer in IMAX. That's pretty sweet. Uh, this is my perfect day. Team Godzilla forever. I cannot wait to watch this. I got my tickets for IMAX on Wednesday. I'm all primed. I cannot wait to go see this thing. I've been dying to see this movie uh, ever since Adam Wingard put out that first trailer, man. That first trailer got me hooked, and I've been salivating for it, and I cannot wait to watch it, man. I'm glad you had a good time. All right, Wakanda Forever writes, Damn, I am late. As a boxing fan, I have no idea how I missed this. I just found out that Marvelous Marvin Hagler, maybe one of the maybe the greatest middleweight of all time, uh, died March 13th. The name says it all. The fight with Hearns was a classic. It is literally a top five fights ever to have to ever happen. An all-time great. I remember the very first time, back when I was a kid. Now, this is before you could just, you know, had pay-per-view at home. There was closed circuit, which meant you could buy tickets to go to a place that would show it. So, like, I remember I was in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. And, and the hockey arena there is Cops Coliseum. I don't know if it's still called Cops Coliseum. It should be. I assume it's still called Cops Coliseum. Anyway, beautiful arena. Getting older now. But 
the Marvelous Marvin Hagler versus Sugar Ray Leonard fight. Uh, my dad got tickets for the closed circuit broadcast. So you can go to the arena and watch the fights on the screens because you couldn't get home pay-per-view at the time. And uh, I remember that as a kid and watching that fight. And Sugar Ray Leonard won the fight, but it was a war. And it was like, it was a beautiful. And yeah, Marvin Hagler was like the baddest man of that weight. Maybe he might be the greatest middleweight of all time. I, I mean, it's, there's debates to be had, but yeah, he was truly, truly uh, one of the greats. All right, next up, Boris writes, one of two. Hey, John, rewatching Falcon and Winter Soldier, and to those saying Sam doesn't fly as well as people like Iron Man, uh, he has pulled off some of the coolest shit on screen with those wings. The way they make him fly is as if the wings are part of who he is and he owns it. Uh, I like USA Agent. Wyatt Russell uh, was in my favorite episode of Black Mirror. Definitely worth the watch. The episode was called Playtest, and he was awesome in it. Uh, such a trippy episode. Can't wait to see what happens with this character. Thanks, John. Yeah, see, I... Here's the thing. The Iron Man uh, armor is clearly way more advanced than and, and better and more powerful than Falcon's wings, clearly. But Sam is a pilot. So I would reject the notion that Tony can fly better than Sam. He's in a much more advanced, much more powerful suit of armor, for sure. But straight up is he as good of a pilot as sam is no he wouldn't be not at all he's very good but i would think sam has the edge and man that that first scene that opening action sequence in episode one of falcon winter soldier when you really see sam do some awesome flying i i think that kind of puts an explanation point on it. but that's just me boris that's just me all right next up jonathan writes uh choose a power the ability to stop time whenever and however long, or the ability to control someone through eye contact like hypnosis, but stronger, uh, which would you choose and why? I, I mean, that's something I would have to think about. My, my gut reaction is to say the ability to take over somebody, somebody's mind. Uh, I mean, obviously the ability to stop time. Now, if it was the ability to rewind time, like even by like, one minute the ability to rewind time even like 60 seconds two minutes that would be different i would take that you could literally change the course of the world with that um but straight up as you described it i think i would go with the ability to control i think you can have more influence that way so that that's the one i'll go with but again jonathan maybe if i had some time to think about it, it might come up with a different answer but that's the one i will stick with for now all right lizzie and peter right um, it was nice this weekend, finally, uh, getting to go to a theater for the first time in over a year, went and saw nobody. I loved, I had such a good time watching nobody in the theaters. It felt like a cross between John wick and red, uh, have a good day. Theater looked to be open. Uh, theater appeared, looked to be on top of everything. Uh, need more hot toys, pre-ordered star Wars and V. Well, look, I'll tell you what I went, I've gone twice in the last week. I went a little over a week ago, me and some friends, you know, me, Anne, Aaron, her husband, uh, Tom, uh, Anne's sister, uh, uh, our friends, um, uh, Matt and Jay Lynn, our friend Soul. So a bunch of us, we actually booked one of the theaters for a private screening of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. 
And we went and we had so much fun. It was just so great to be back in there. And then on Thursday, Anne and I went to go see Nobody uh, at a regular screening of Nobody. And it was a blast. I had such a good time, man. Such a good time being in that theater, watching that movie. It just felt like I was home again. You know, I've missed it so much. And uh, now I'm going back again on Wednesday to go see Godzilla versus Kong. So excited about that. So excited about I'm glad that you guys were able to have that good experience too. All right. Next up, Sergeant Ward writes, Hey, John, since you used to do celebrity interviews, uh, what was the most awkward interview you had with a famous person? Also, how does it feel that Vin Diesel knew who you were? Well, no, that was the Vin Diesel thing was actually... Um, that is honestly one of the highlights of my career. Cause you got to understand I am an effing nobody, right? I, I am a nobody, an absolute complete nobody. And when, and I'm very aware of that and I'm very cognizant of that and I'm very comfortable with that. I just happen to be a nobody who gets to do what I love for a living. But that, yeah, that one time, for those of you who don't know this one time I walked into interview uh, Vin Diesel. And you guys know, I talk all the time. I'm, I'm a big Vin Diesel fan. So I walk in to interview Vin Diesel at one of these standard, um, press junkets, right? Where, you know, the, the actor is in the hotel room set in a director's chair, uh, and all the cameras are set up. And then an, uh, a, a media journalist goes in to interview them for three or four minutes. Then they leave they get the the tape or the SD card with the interview and they get to go put it on their network. Then the next journalist goes in and the next journalist goes in. And, you know, these actors will see 50, 60, you know, of these journalists, 70 of these journalists a day. I mean, it's crazy. So I go in, sit down with Vin Diesel and they always introduce you when you come in. Right. So I come walking in the room and one of the PAs in there says to Vin Diesel, this is uh, this is John Campy of AMC. He goes, hey, John, how you doing? So like, I just think he was being polite. What I didn't know was that he knew who I was. And I ask him his first question and he goes, yeah, that's really interesting. And he stops. And he goes, by the way, we've got this on video because I was so freaking I, I geeked out over this so hard. I still do to this day. Uh, Vin Diesel stops the interview and just talks for about two or three minutes about how much he loved my show and, and how much he loved our videos. And I was like, I, I just, I mean, there are certain things that can make a nobody like me feel like a million bucks. And that made me feel like, I'm not going to lie. I completely geeked out, uh, felt like a million bucks. If I was somebody like a Scott Mance, you know, Scott Mance, who all the celebrities know, no big deal. Scott Mance has like been there, done that. But me, an effing nobody, I freaked the hell out and I still freak out about it to this day. Anyway, um, the most awkward, I'll tell you, the, the most awkward interview I ever did. Let me just bring them up here for a second because, um, hold a second. Uh, um, it, it's um, Amanda Seafried. The interview was with Amanda Seyfried, who I like very much. I like her very much. The reason it was an awkward thing, I just got to look up the name of the movie here because I'm forgetting what it was called. Uh, it wasn't Narrative Fathers and Daughters Pan. wasn't Ted 2, although I did really like her in Ted 2. I liked her in Ted 2 a lot. Uh, Fathers and Daughters Pan, Ted 2, While We Were Young, Dog Food, Epic. Where was it? Did I miss it? Oh, Gone. That was the name of it. It was Gone. 
this was the most awkward interview I ever did. And the reason it was the most awkward interview I, I ever did was... Now, you have to understand, if a movie looked like a movie I really wasn't going to like, I would let one of my other staff go and cover the press junket um, before I just got tired of doing the celebrity interview stuff because there actually isn't a lot of value in them, so I stopped doing them all together. But I there was nobody else to go and cover this movie, so I went and covered it. I went to the press screening the night before, and then the next day I had to go and interview Amanda Seyfried. And... I like her very much, but the movie was awful, like awful, awful, not like a top 10 worst films of all time, but like a top four or five worst films of that year. It was terrible, like absolutely terrible. And Sebastian Stan, I forgot about that. Sebastian Stan was in that one too. Anyway. And so going in and talking to this actress that I really like about a movie I really hated. Those are always awkward. And I'm not going to lie in these interviews. That's the thing. I, I would never pretend like that I liked it. So I'm having to come up with these questions that I don't want to crap on her movie in her own interview. So I'm coming up with these questions that are like, don't put me in a position where I have to lie to make it sound like I like the movie. But at the same time, allow her to pitch and sell her movie to our audience at the same time. So I'm like, you know, you're working with Jennifer Carpenter in this. You know, we uh, we've liked her for a long time. Uh, what was that dynamic like for her? And what was that experience like working with her? So, you know, something like that, something that doesn't because when I'm talking to like Chris Hemsworth about an Avengers movie or Thor movie, I'll say this scene was so great and blah, 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 but I can't do that with a movie I didn't like. And so that to me was the most awkward one um, I ever did. The most awkward one our team ever did. I remember this. I can't remember which movie it was specifically, but it was Tommy Lee Jones. And I sent Roth, Jennings Roth Cornett, she was on my staff at the time and I sent her to go and do the press screening for, I can't remember what movie it was. And then she got to go and do the interview with Tommy Lee Jones, iconic, legendary Tommy Lee Jones, but who is also legendarily difficult. Uh, apparently he does not like, we knew this. We've heard these rumors. He does not like doing press and he's very difficult to interview. So we send Roth off to do this interview and she comes back, she comes into the office the next day to bring in the, the digital cards so Dennis can start editing them, right? And me and Dennis are like, so how'd it go? She goes, oh, just watch. And we're like, really? She goes, oh, just watch. So we sit down and Roth pops in these cards and like Roth asks this like really good question, this really good insightful question. And you know, Mr. Jones, like, blah, 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 blah. And what was this? And blah, blah. Like, it was a really good question, right? And Tommy Lee Jones just like, yes. Awkward silence. And, like, Roth's like, okay. Because uh, Roth tries to give him for a second. Like, maybe he's just trying to gather his thoughts. She, she doesn't want to comment. She, she gives him a moment, as a good interviewer should. And 
nothing. So, okay. So blah, 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 blah. So she launches into a second really good, well thought out question. It was an excellent, excellent, would have been an excellent interview if Tommy Lee Jones participated. And then, you know, she finishes this question, you know, just like T-balling it up him for him to sell his movie, right? No. And that was it. So the most awkward one I ever had to do was Amanda Seyfried. Uh, but the most awkward one our team ever did was definitely that one with Tommy Lee Jones. It was, it was not fun. I, the guy is amazing. The guy's a legend, but not, not, uh, he doesn't like doing the interviews, man. And it shows anyway. Uh, next up, we got James Argento who writes after rewatching suicide squad trailer. I think rockers, uh, Michael rockers character leads the first team with second team led by Elba's character who is joined by flag during mission. Also Zemo's cell number is two one eight seven is a reference to Leia's cell number on the death star Two one eight. Oh, I didn't, you know, I didn't even pick that up in the show. I didn't pick that up. Like at the end when they go, okay, let's go see Zemo. And they did the camera shot showing Zemo. I did not see cell number 2187. That's a good catch. Well done, James. And yeah, other people have been saying they think there starts with two teams. One does one thing. We'll see how it kind of works out. But I do know, James, I love that trailer. And I'm very, I mean, I've been looking forward to seeing this movie anyway, just because it's James Gunn. But uh, yeah, I'm stoked to see what he's got in store for this. All right, next up, Kara Black writes, even though I like Batman vs. Superman quite a bit, my personal favorite Batman slash Superman story is the three-part World's Finest arc in Superman, the animated series, where they team up to take on Joker, Lex, and a handful of giant spider-like robots. I loved it. I don't think I ever watched that animated storyline. Again, I'm not a fan of either Marvel or DC's animated stuff. I, I think they're all terrible, but a lot of people love them, and that's great. You know, there's a lot of things I like people think are terrible, so it's all good. It's all subjective. Um, but man, I listen, I'm not going to pretend that Batman and super versus Superman didn't have its issues, but I've, I liked it quite a bit, but I particularly loved the actual conflict between Batman and Superman and that fight, which was something I've dreamed about seeing on a live action, big screen my whole life, particularly ever since I was a kid and reading the dark Knight returns, because, you know, The Dark Knight Returns ends with Batman and Superman fighting. And obviously there was a lot of influence of The Dark Knight Returns in Batman versus Superman. Um, but I I loved that part. I loved it myself, Kara. Anyway, thanks for sharing that, Kara. Next up, Big Dog LT writes, Okay, John, I'm getting sad, man. Your community needs a pregame for Godzilla versus Kong. Eh, no, I, and I'll tell you why I'm not going to do a pregame, but we'll get to that in a second. I mean, I know you will be uh, going to the theater, but you and Rob can definitely do a super showdown early in the day uh, before it happens. The hype is crazy. Did you see the China box office? Again, yes, we did talk about the box office. It made $122 million in the overseas box office, which blows away the previous COVID-era record, which was Tenet. That was $53 million. Tenet made $53 million in overseas markets. Godzilla vs. Kong made $122. It's going to be really interesting to see how much it makes. Listen, pre-games, about halfway through WandaVision, we started doing the day before the show, or the day that the show would come out, earlier before it would come out, we would do a pre-game show where we would talk about what we think is going to happen in the episode tonight, right? And with, and with uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, 
we'll probably start up pre-games again for Falcon Winter Soldier. But we didn't do it for the first couple of episodes because we haven't gotten into the show yet to start developing our ideas, our speculations, our theories about where things are going to go. Because you got to get into the show first before you can start doing that. That's why I don't really see the point in doing a pre-game show for Godzilla vs. Kong. Because as excited as I am about the movie, what's there to talk about pre-game? I think Godzilla will win. I think Kong will win. I mean, that's really all there is to it. So we will def- I will definitely do an open spoiler discussion of Godzilla vs. Kong uh, a few days after I see it to give everybody a chance to watch it. But uh, no, probably not going to do a pregame show. Probably not going to do a pregame show for that one. All right, next up. Uh, Scott Brett writes, Hey, John, hope you're having an amazing day. I am having an amazing day. Thank you. Whose quote do you think was more meaningful and impactful, Bucky or Visions? Oh, that's easy. Uh, yes, I'm asking you to compare apples to oranges. P.S. I laugh every time you do your nerdy but John voice. So, listen, in WandaVision and already in, in uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, incredible, incredible lines. Vision's line, talking to Wanda in that one episode of WandaVision, where he says, what is grief uh, if not love persevering? One of the greatest lines ever. Just such a, that's that's something you tattoo on your arm. What is grief if not love persevering? That's amazing. That's an amazing line. But then we get into Falcon and Winter Soldier and Bucky getting angry at Sam for not taking up the shield. And he's saying, well, Cap was wrong about you. And if he was wrong about you, then that means he was wrong about me. And the reason that is so impactful is because it speaks to the soul of Bucky. He is somebody who does not believe in himself. And the only reason he has any belief in himself, that he can do this, that he can live free in the modern world, that he can be a good man after all that he has done, the only reason he believes maybe he can do that is because his hero, his best friend, Steve Rogers, believed in him. And when you understand that, you understand that that's all Bucky has to hold on to. That however much he doubts himself, however much he doesn't believe he can do it, Steve believed I could do it. And so when he turns to Sam and says, well, then then he was wrong about you. And if he was wrong about you, then that means he was wrong about me. That means I've got nothing left. I have nothing if Steve was wrong about me, you know, and it was so powerful and emotional, but honestly, to me, it's an easy question. The better, the the best line is the, what is love? If not, what is grief? If not love persevering, because that, that is a line that can exist outside of WandaVision. That's a line that can exist outside of the MCU. That is a line that exists outside of of movies themselves, of the comic book genre, of anything. It is such a powerful, beautiful, poetic line that speaks to all life. But again, that that Bucky line was certainly fantastic as well at the same time. All right, next up, Frankie Goosh writes, uh, although it will not... It will not be for everyone. I recommend that everyone should check out Invincible on Prime. It is it's it is something unique in a lot of ways. Again, we talked about Invincible on the show earlier today. Uh, actually, a little bit earlier tonight, I watched episode one again because Anne didn't see it yet. So we watched episode one. I got to tell you this great line. So we're watching Invincible uh, episode one. And this will only make sense to you if you've seen it. But if you've watched Invis- Invincible episode one, you know how it ends. So 
if you haven't seen it, this is going to go over your head, but we're watching it and like, we're going, oh my gosh. And then it ends and Anne goes, as the credits start to roll, Anne goes, when does Kite Man show up? To which, this is why I love her so much. It made me laugh so hard. I laughed hysterically. When does Kite Man show up? I loved it. Anyway, uh, but yes, it's it's great. I'm really enjoying it so far and having a really good time with it. I cannot wait for uh, to see the rest of the series, Frankie. All right, next up. Uh, Frankie also writes, a film that is always a film that is always surfaces from the depths of my psyche occasionally bared there because of how it disturbs me. The trigger is Idris Elba, who stars in it, made for HBO in 2005, title something in April about the Rwandan genocide. It's on HBO Max. I have never even heard of this show or of this movie. I've never heard of this movie sometime in April in 2005. Now, was that? prior to the wire i'm thinking it was that was probably no no no. that was that was after the wire that was post the wire where he was stringer bell now so i'm not familiar with that now when i ever think of movies and the rwandan genocide i think of um of uh hotel rwanda with don Cheadle, which is don Cheadle's greatest performance the movie is powerful um and if you guys have not seen Hotel Rwanda, I definitely rank recommend it. And thank you for that recommendation, Frankie. All right, Frankie also writes, remember the iconic music of The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly? Of course. Ran across a live performance of it uh, on YouTube uh, worth checking out. The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, the Danish National Symphony Orchestra live. They also performed the other two dollars. Okay, one second. I am just going to open up a web browser here. Uh, give me one second. I'm going to open up a browser here. And just so I can, um, just so I can get that into my search. So hold on a second. The good, the bad, and the ugly uh, Danish. There. Okay. There it is. Now I'll be able to go and check it out once it's done because I, I love hearing like live orchestras playing movie scores. I eat that crap up. So thank you. Frankie for putting that on my radar. All right, next up. Uh, Frankie also writes, on the other hand, please don't go to the Danish National Symphony Orchestra channel. You are too busy. They do everything from Star Wars Cantina to the Godfather. Channel is like a nerd geek. Oh, well, uh, you just heard what I said, Frankie. You just heard what I said. So that's it. I am now doomed. I am doomed. I'm going to, and now I'm going to get on there because I got their channel here now open and I'm probably going to get sucked into a vortex completely horribly because uh, I do love that stuff. I absolutely do. Thanks for sharing that, man. Uh, next up, uh, Brandon writes, uh, John, you got to watch the animated superhero show Invincible on Amazon. It just dropped the first three episodes. The characters are so well-written. The action is violent and the world building they've done so far is incredible. Highly recommend it. Again, I'm very, I'm enjoying it very much. I'm enjoying it very much. It's, it's not the best thing I've seen, but I just ate my way through the first three episodes. Like I just devoured all three episodes. Uh, by the time the third episode was done, like, damn it, is that all there is? I want to see more. I'm so excited to watch the rest of them and uh, see if they're able to keep the level that high as they continue on, Brandon. All right, next up, Brandon also writes, as you probably know, Spider-Man No Way Home has wrapped filming. However, did you see the leaked image of gifts given to the crew of the film? Uh, there was a shirt with Garfield's Spider-Man on it and a card with text. Yeah, I don't I don't know that I don't buy it. Let me I mean, for those listening to the podcast, let me finish reading the question. There was a shirt with Garfield's Spider-Man on it and a card with text 
uh, with text with font from McGuire Films. I, again, I, I don't know that I buy that. I don't know if that's legit. I'm not saying it is. I, I have no proof that it isn't. Let's just be clear. I have no proof that it isn't, but I don't personally buy it. I, we see all kinds of stuff like that all the time. So I am not buying into it. I'm not buying into it yet. All right, but we'll see. We'll see how that all turns out, Brandon. Next up, Jonathan writes, the new Captain America looks like a big jock uh, that bullies nerds in schools. I hate him already. Yeah, he does kind of have that. I mean, they're portraying him as a really good guy so far. I'm sure we're going to get to see darker dimensions to him soon enough. But uh, they're portraying him as a good guy. But yes, he does kind of have that look, doesn't he? He does kind of have that look, Jonathan. All right, next up, Suthius writes, Hey guys, um, I don't know how to pronounce his name. David Dast Malchain uh, uh, has also been in many superhero slash comic book movies. He was the he was in the Dark Knight, the the Ant Man movie. He was uh, Akbar Cad uh, Cadabra in CW's Flash, and now he's Polka Dot Man. Oh, I know the guy you're talking about. Now he's Polka Dot Man in Suicide Squad. Uh, apparently, oh Abra Cadabra. I'm, I'm like Abra. Cabarara, it's abracadabra, yes. Um, in the flash, and now he's polka dot man in Suicide Squad. Apparently, Dark Knight was his first movie role. Yeah, I believe I remember hearing that. And then he just started popping up in other things. He's got a very, very unique look. I never knew that was his name. David Dastmalchain. Dastmalchian? Dastmal- I've never know how to I've never known how to say it. I've never known how to say it. Then, of course, he's you know playing alongside TI and whatever and Ant-Man. Um yeah, he pops up all over the place. For a guy whose name I just didn't recognize, I, you recognize his face instantly. You recognize his face instantly, and he pops up all over the place. He's built himself a pretty good career popping up in comic book material, Suthius. All right, next up, HV3 Pop Guy writes, I'm sure you already talked about Comic-Con in person coming back Thanksgiving Day weekend. Do you, do you, they will... Do you think they will? Or uh, it's a good idea to offer free or exclusive swag, Funko Pops, or special panels if you can prove you got the COVID-19 vaccine. Um, Maybe panels, not free swag. That gets really expensive. That's, like, super expensive (laughs) to do. Like, if you've got, I don't know, like, let's say 40,000 people show up. I mean, you're talking about having to spend half a million dollars just to give away free panels pops no i don't think so and look the reality is they're not going to have to do a lot to get people to come back to comic-con i mean look they won't nor should they have like their standard 150 to 200,000 people showing up but a lot of people are going to want to go to comic-con i know i want to go to comic-con i will be there but i don't think they're going to have to do much more to provide incentives and if somebody isn't going to go because they still don't feel like we're quite there yet with the pandemic offering them a free pop isn't going to change their minds you know so that's not a big deal so no i don't think they need to do anything gimmicky like that i think they just need to put it on open the doors and while not a normal size comic-con crowd i think the crowd will come and um hopefully hopefully by november we will be in such a place that that's not a risky proposition. So, but who knows? The pandemic changes all the time. Maybe we'll be in a worse place than we are today. Maybe we'll be almost in the clear. Who knows? We'll have to see how that transpires. All right. The Sock writes, 
So, I saw Raya and the Last Dragon with a date. On top of my date being boring and disinterested and having to drive through flash floods kind of rain, I didn't really enjoy the movie other than I thought the animation was incredibly impressive. Yeah, look, I don't think it's like one of the best uh, animated films I've seen. I thought it was quite enjoyable, though. I had had a very good time with it. I, I thought it was better... It was certainly better than I thought it would be because... When I first saw them talk about Raya the Last Dragon, it was at the last D23 before the pandemic. And I loved what I saw and what I heard. However, the movie went through a lot of drama. Uh, Tons of, it's weird to say reshoots with an animated movie, but tons, massive amounts of reshoots. They removed the director and put in a new director. They changed out half of the voice cast, including the lead, Uh, And they made Kelly Marie Tran. And I love Kelly Marie Tran. Don't get me wrong. But it was this other girl who was the lead that they introduced at D23. She was so excited. And the director was there at D23. So excited to direct this movie. Now, watching it, knowing neither of them were there in the end. So I was expecting kind of a mess of a movie. And I thought it was pretty damn solid. Again, not one of the stronger Disney animated films. But I thought pretty solid and enjoyable. But maybe you should watch it again sometime, Sock, when you're not with... uh, a boring date. Maybe when you're not with a boring date, you should try it out. Maybe you'll have a better experience with it next time. All right, next up. The Sock also writes, one of two. Um, also, one thing that really bothered me was Namari saying that uh, Shizu's death was just as much Raya's fault. I could maybe agree with that. Well, I don't want to get into spoiler stuff here. I could maybe agree with that if we didn't get uh, the close-up of her pulling the trigger. Honestly, those just sound like the words of someone uh, who can't handle that they effed up again. I understand wanting to be forgiven and all that, but if if you, but if you, I ask you, but if you, I ask you, invest some money for me and you, and you blow it, I forgive you and you do it again, I'd be an idiot to take that chance again. Well, I mean, that's a larger life issue. That's a larger kind of life question about, you know, uh, forgiveness, giving second chances, um, all that kind of stuff. Again, I don't want to go into the details of how the scene breaks down and everything. Cause you know, this is, this isn't a spoiler discussion video. So I, I don't want to go into the confines of it, but I thought, yes, but it also sounds like somebody, something that somebody in her position would say, right? It's not ridiculous that the character said that that is somebody, that is something that someone in that position, who's that kind of character would probably say in a defensive kind of deflective way. So it didn't strike me as odd in any way. Again, if you haven't seen Raya, you have no idea what we're talking about. I don't want to go into details, but that's why to me, the scene still felt very organic. At least to me, at least to me, it felt that way, Sock. All right, next up. Sock also writes, one good thing that did come from this weekend, though, I watched the first three episodes of Invincible, which has been a common theme today, and it has the kind of blood and gore I've been wishing to see in a DC animated movie for a long time. Very interested to see where it goes after episode three. I will say this, and this will be unpopular, and that's okay. I don't mind saying the unpopular thing. I'm always willing to say the unpopular thing. So I'll say the unpopular thing. It, that's, blood and gore is not what made, makes Invincible good. If Invincible didn't have a great story with really good characters and a great, you know, uh, context and premise, having heads explode and blood flying wouldn't make it watchable. That wouldn't make it any better. Wouldn't make it any good. Invincible is good because I've seen a lot of shit 
that has a lot of gore and the gore doesn't make it good. I mean, yeah, when used right, it's a great accent. It's a great accent to a good piece. You know what I mean? When used right. But I I don't get excited. I've seen so much blood and gore in so many movies that are absolute crap. I don't get I don't get excited by blood and gore movies because I've seen so many damn uh, movies that have done that and it doesn't make the movies any better. But used right in the right way at the right time, it can be a nice little accent. And in Invincible, it works really well. But again, it is not at all anywhere near one of the reasons why Invincible is good. Invincible is good because it's a great premise with really good characters that they're fleshing out in a really interesting story and a really engaging mythology that they're building around it and playing off of a lot of, of the stereotypical superhero tropes that they play against. And that's why it works. And that's why it's good. Everything else is just a kind of a fun little accent to me. But that's just that's just how I take it. That's just how I see it. And uh, it is what it is. But I am enjoying it, Sock. I am enjoying it a great deal. All right, next up. Uh, UFC 260 was entertainment. It was. I really enjoyed UFC 260. Instead of having Godzilla and Kong fight Mecha Godzilla, uh, why don't we just let Francis Naganu take care of him? Poor Stipe, but respect to him. And Woodley can dance around the cage now, apparently. And I like O'Malley, but he's starting to annoy me with his cockiness. I listen. I know he's super cocky, but he may be him, Max Holloway. Um, yeah, I think him and Max Holloway, Holloway may be the two most like truly talented fighters in the UFC right now. Like they don't, I'm not saying they're the best fighters in the UFC because there's more than just like pure technical talent. There's a, there's a lot of other things too, but I'm telling you, watch, uh, watching O'Malley fight is really fun. He is unorthodox. He'll come at you. He'll change levels multiple times in a fight. You never know where the next strike is coming from. Um, like all that kind of stuff. I think he is fun as hell to watch. And you got to do it. Like I know I heard Francis say, oh, he's not really interested in a trilogy fight with Stipe. Um, okay, but Stipe beat you and now you beat him. He deserves a, a shot to get that belt back. Look, but to me, as soon as they, like, we heard that Stipe was going to walk into that ring around 230 pounds. I'm like, really? And I get what the philosophy was, come in light, lean, and, like, just outgas. Because I'll tell you the way to beat Francis Naganu. Get into the third round. That dude, if he didn't knock out Stipe when he did, he was, they were only, at the beginning of the second round, Naganu was, like, breathe like t- taking deep heavy breaths like that that fight didn't even go to the end of the second round and and even in the post fight interview he was still just sweating buckets of sweat like that dude's conditioning is a huge question mark so i get it i understand what stipe was kind of thinking hey man just go in there light and lean and like because nagano entered that fight like a good 40 pounds heavier than stipe was a good 40 pounds so I get it. He's thinking, I just need to have the endurance. I just need to keep my distance, stick and move, all that kind of stuff. Because when I get this dude into the late second, into the third, and maybe fourth rounds, he's going to have nothing left. And he's right. He would have. But you can't go in there because we saw Stipe go for that single leg, right? 
But when he went for that single leg, you could tell this this ain't going to happen. You could instantly see that weight difference and that size difference. Stipe needs to put on another good 20, 25 pounds. He needs to get that size back to fight somebody like Francis because he needs to take Francis down. And you're just not going to do that when Francis is in walking. I'm not talking at weigh-in day. I'm talking about the day you walk into the ring. He's walking into the ring because Francis like weighed in at 265. Like he weighed in at like the maximum you can weigh in, and you know he's coming in heavier the next day by five or ten pounds. So he probably had like 40 pounds on Stipe. And so I just I think Stipe had the bad game, uh, a bad approach, the wrong game plan. I think if he had a good another 20, 25 pounds, he could have taken uh, Francis down. It would just be a more interesting fight. So, and, and you know, they fight a third time. Nagano can take, take out anybody. So maybe he wins that fight again. But I think Stipe has a much better chance if he gets the weight back on and uh, and challenges him again and takes Nagano a little bit deeper. Because once you take him deep, he can, he can be beat. As beastly as he is, he's got no cardio. That kid's got no cardio. And so he's vulnerable. He's vulnerable. Anyway, uh, sorry, I went off on that a little bit longer than I should have. All right. Uh, last question of the day, guys, and we'll wrap things up here. Asian John Campia, as opposed to Asian Jim writes, what are the chances that we could see Jeremy Irons back in the DCEU? His incarnation of Alfred is the perfect blend of being both a classic approach with a modern touch. He is by far my favorite portrayal of the character, and I'm dying to see more of him. Uh, a follow-up question, John. If you had to hire one of the live-action incarnations of Alfred as your new personal assistant, which version of the character would you pick and why? Listen, out of all the actors who have played Alfred, as great as Michael Caine is, and, and Michael Caine is iconic, uh, Jeremy Irons is my favorite actor to play the role, but my actual favorite incarnation of, um, Paul second, uh, my actual favorite incarnation of Alfred is actually from a show I do not love, and that was Gotham. So, uh, where is he? It is played. Alfred in Gotham is probably my favorite uh, uh, Alfred we, uh, I've I've seen on screen. He's probably my favorite one we've seen on screen. Played by Sean uh, Pertwee, and I'm not even familiar with his other work. Uh, oh, he's gonna be. Uh, he was in Goal. Oh my God, he was in Dog Soldiers. I don't remember him from that. I do not remember him in Event Horizon. I Apparently, he's been in a bunch of stuff I've seen, and I just don't remember him. Anyway, um, that iteration, and even though I didn't like Gotham all that much, Gotham was very, very hit and miss to me. I think that version, that incarnation of Alfred was probably my favorite. I really did love that character. I really did love that character. So I would say that's the one, and he would be the one I would hire as my personal assistant at the same time. All right, guys. There are still more questions to come, including questions from uh, The Sock, Dr. Film, Anonymous. Do not worry, guys. When we get to the John Campia show tomorrow, when we get to the live questions part of the show, we're going to kick it off with these questions. We're going to get all caught up from there. That will do it for me for now, guys, for this installment of the companion video. Thank you so much for spending some time with us here as we got caught up on the questions. Guys, I hope you have a marvelous evening and make sure you join us for the John Campion Show tomorrow. Once again, guys, do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves and take care of the people around you. Special thank you to all you guys who sent in these questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. And number two, you supported our channel while you did it. And all of us here involved with the John Campion Show, thank you guys very, very much 
for that support. All right, guys, that'll do it for me for now. Thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.